You're listening to the Grace Family Church Podcast. Notes for today's sermon are available by downloading the GFC Florida app. Family Church, how you guys doing? Everybody good? Yeah, on all of our campuses. And hey, we got some good news. I know most of us have been in the air condition every week, uh, every weekend, but our Clearwater campus is out of the tent. The grand opening is happening this weekend. So come on, Clearwater. We love you guys. Excited about that. Uh, I feel really good, man. The last couple of weeks, my wife and I just been on, on a little vacation celebrating 42 years of, of marriage, and it's, it's been awesome, but it's, it's good to be back at Grace, and man, I'm excited about this final week of this message that, that Scott Williams is going to speak. How many of you know Scott? It, we don't even call him a guest speaker anymore. This is his fourth time here at Grace. He's doing such a great job, and I got to hear this message already once, so you're in store. You're in, you're in for a real treat. Scott, will you come on up? Give Scott a big hand, guys. All right, all the way from Oklahoma. I heard you barely made it, too. Yeah, yeah. I, I barely made it. I did. Hey, let's give it up to your pastor one time. Let's give it to Pastor Craig. Let's give him a hand clap. Come on, you can do better now. Y'all louder than that at a lightning game. Give it up for your pastor one time. It's good. As Pastor said, my name is Scott Williams. I bring you greetings from the great state of Oklahoma, uh, the city of Oklahoma City. And uh, man, it's good to be here. I'm not a guest. I'm family. And I just drank a bang energy shot. And I do that every time before I come here. So like a brother's got a little bit of extra energy, but I'm excited to be able to preach God's word. And so again, for those of you guys who are new, like, man, who is this cat? Like, I'm just an adopted family member, but I love this church. I love sharing God's word. And if you've been here for this uh, David series, I got a chance to open it up with the first week, and I'm excited to be here now, but man, we got to start by welcoming all these campuses you guys got. You got Lando Lakes is in the house, you got Temple Terrace, you got Carrollwood, you got Clearwater, you got Ebor, you got South, South Tampa, you, I mean, literally, like, you guys have campuses everywhere. You got a campus in Dubai, you got a campus in L.A., I mean, like literally, campus is just popping up. But again, shout out to Clearwater getting a chance to get in a new building. That's a big deal. Just give them one more hand clap. You guys are awesome. And again, I got to open the series up with David and Goliath, and then you've had some great messages from, you know, Pastor Hal, you had Pastor Mike, got a chance to share. It's just really, really cool to be able to look into the life of David. And I just want to be honest with you guys, I didn't know if I was going to make it here. I don't know if you guys have been traveling lately, but traveling is getting a little bit crazy. Like, the airports are busy, like, flights are getting canceled. By a show of hands, how many of you guys have traveled in the last few months? And I don't know if you, how many of you guys have had problems when you traveled? Okay, almost equally, like, I mean, it's crazy. Like, I, I was at the airport. I was on my way to Tampa, right? I get here, got to come preach. I'm at the airport, and I get a notification that my flight was delayed. Okay, cool. Then I get another notification that my flight was canceled. 
okay, not cool, right? And so they go ahead and they, they go ahead and put me on another flight. It's a little bit later that day, and I'm in Atlanta, and so I decided, you know, I'm gonna try to get on an earlier flight, but I gotta stand by. So I'm on standby, you know, standby is not generally not ever good. And, and not only are like people are like a little bit like restless in the airport, it's busy. Like even the people that were working the, the counter were mad and angry and frustrated. And so I get there to the, you know, the flight for Tampa, going to do the standby thing. And like the guy, he's upset with everybody. Like, Look, this is true story. I'm not making this up. He said, don't come to the counter anymore. If we want you, we will call you. No, you haven't been cleared. Do not come to the counter. I'm like... Man, and so I'm sitting there, and there's these two nice ladies that were sitting there. I was like, yeah, I'm trying to get to Tampa. I was like, like yeah, that's home for us. We've been stuck. We, we had to finally get on this flight. And I was like, yeah, I'm actually going there to preach. And, and the lady's like, well, what church? I said, Grace Church. She's like, that's my church. And so anyway, so we got to having a conversation. I'm thinking, well, if that's your church, I said, you hadn't seen a brother speak because I've been speaking there for a little bit, right? So maybe I may have missed those. I'm pregnant. I missed a couple of weeks. And so anyways, uh, shout out to Carly and Kirsten. So they were on a business trip. They were trying to get back and, and we we're having a conversation and, and I'm on standby and it's like oversold. There's no seats and and I couldn't see the list because the brother's kind of old. And so I said, my name's Williams. She said, yeah, you're like number four. You're, you're, you're not getting on the flight. And so... I'm sitting there thinking like, yeah, I'm, my brother's about to get on this flight, right? I'm about to get on this flight. And so they go ahead and they board and they do their thing. And then they finish, they get bored and I'm sitting there waiting. And the guy calls like two names out. So he calls the two names out and I see one person walk up. He walks up to the counter and he's like trying to do his check-in thing. Because I'm waiting, I'm kind of hovering to make sure I get on the flight. He's like, well, where's your other part of the party? He's like, well, he's not here yet. He'll be here in a second. He said, sir, it's called standby. That means you're supposed to be standing by. If he wants to get on a flight, he needs to be standing by right now. And I'm like, and then finally say, well, next person, uh, Scott Williams. And I'm like, yep, that's me, right? And so it's, it's funny because like, you know, Carly and Kirsten, they didn't think I was going to get on the flight. And they, were, they said they were literally having a conversation where she said, you know what, I need to go with a church, I need to do whatever. And they said, if you get on this flight, if we get on this flight, we're going to church. And so they were able to get a ticket, they would get on the flight. And so they were already thinking they need to go to church, right? So I get in and I go and board the plane, right? So I go board the plane. I go down, I'm walking down the aisle. There's only, I guess, one seat available at this time. It's 37D. I go to 37D and I don't know, but it was one seat in the aisle and guess who was sitting in the other two seats? Carly and Kirsten, exactly. And they're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Like, okay, I gotta go to church. If I don't go to church, I'm going to hell. Like, I'm going to hell. Like, God, what are you saying? And so, no, true story, but, uh, but, but here's what I know, is that no matter what the situation is, I truly believe that, like, that God is going to make a seat at the table for me. And I truly believe as we look at the life of David, like, we see situations where he will prepare a seat, and he will prepare a seat at the table for you, but you got to do the hard work, and that's what David's life is able to show us. And so I'm going to go ahead and set the stage for the time that we're going to look at in Scripture. We're going to look at uh, 2 Samuel 2 Samuel 9, I'm actually going to read, we're going to read the whole chapter. I mean, by a show of hands, how many of you guys can honestly say you've read a whole chapter of the Bible in the last month? Yeah, some of y'all, you ain't got to lie, don't lie in church, don't raise your hand if you didn't, for real, but because here in a few moments, you're going to be able to answer that question with an emphatic yes, because we're going to read a whole chapter. And sometimes, you know, there's certain stories in the Bible, like you can go and preach them and do whatever, there's some stories that just preach themselves. 
And as I was able to look at how and what I want to speak about in the life of David, like I'd never preached on this particular text, and so I was really excited to be able to share. And so go ahead and set up the stage. So you got a time in the text where, like, you know, David is out there. He's doing his thing, right? He's, he's the, you know, he's, he's the new king. And, and, and he, like, there he's doing his thing. And things are happening. And they're moving around. And, and there was a time when, when David and Jonathan, like, they were out. And they had a conversation about, like, look, hey, if something happens in the future, like, let's do this covenant that we'll make sure that we take care of one another's family. Like, they, they kind of did this covenant bond saying that's what we'll do. And so you think about it. So now David... Is king, And so with David's king, like what they were doing is they were killing off everybody that had lineage to Saul, right? And so Saul was killed off and his son Jonathan was killed off. And that's what they would do in this time. Anybody that could be an heir or could be a successor or could come in and try to take the kingdom or could try to push back against this new administration, they would just take them out. And so that's what was happening there. So it's a time in the text where that, that's what they were supposed to do, and they're supposed to take out these, these certain people. And, and Jonathan actually had a son at the time, and his son's name was Mephibosheth. And if you guys didn't know, I speak really fast, and I'm gonna have to say this name Mephibosheth quite a few times today. And so instead of trying to get caught up, we just gonna we're gonna nickname him. Fib, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, because Mephibosheth, you try to say it four or five times in a row at my speed, it ain't working, right? And so, so we're gonna call him Fib sometimes, or maybe I'm fibbing, but his name is Mephibosheth, right? And so during a time when like all these folks were getting killed and they were making sure they were taking out people that had some connection or lineage to Saul. Mephibosheth was was about five years old, Jonathan's son, and Jonathan's nurse was taking care of him. And so she was quickly trying to grab him and get out of the house. So she grabs Mephibosheth, she's trying to get out of the house, and as she's doing it, she drops him. And how many of you guys know, like, when you drop a baby, like, like, like everybody is scared when you drop a baby, right? Like, by a show of hands, how many of you guys ever dropped a baby? Like, no, no, don't raise your hand, but anyway, like, like, you drop a baby, like, you pick them up, you checking their head, you know what I'm saying? Some of you like, nah, my husband was definitely dropped as a baby because, man, he got some issues, but... So he dropped Mephibosheth, and he ended up being crippled in both of his legs. So it's crazy. So this is supposed to be the prince, the fresh prince of Bel-Air. Like, he's supposed to be the prince, but he's, he's crippled at five years old, right? And so he goes off into this place of insignificance. And so again, later in the years, David remembered that covenant that he established with Jonathan. Hey, man, I'll take care of your family. This is where we pick up in the Bible. I'm going to go ahead and read. I'm going to read 2 Samuel, verse, uh, 2 Samuel 9. We'll do 1 through 13. Here's what the Bible says. I'm going to read the whole thing, and I'll come back and just unpack a few verses. David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba at your service? He replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul? Because again, remember, Saul and Jonathan both had been killed. And to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He's lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked Ziba. Ziba answered, he is at the house of Machir and the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Everybody say Lodabar. Everybody say Lodabar. So King David had him brought from where? From 
Lodabar. From the house of Machir, the son of Amiel. So the king again, when Mephibosheth, the son of David, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David asked, said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I'll restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and whom you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your son are to be servants and farm the land for him and to bring him crops, bring the crops in, so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth's grandson of your master will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord, the king, commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah. And all of Ziba's, the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. You see, one thing about this story is that there are so many aspects of David's life that we've learned over the last four weeks. And this one is really interesting because here's the king who was known for lots of things, but what he wants to do is he wants to take this Old Testament principle, like, but he wants to come and show this New Testament principle, show this kindness and grace and mercy we've come to know from Jesus. But what's important to know about Lodabar is like, for instance, figuratively, Lodabar was a very, very low place that you didn't want to be. Like, to give some contrast, if you're in a really good place or a place of elation, a place of amazingness, it's called you're on what? You're on cloud nine. You're on cloud nine. But, but when you're in Lodabar, like Lodabar was literally like, it was the slums. It was a, a shanty town. It, it was the ghetto. It was the hood. It was also a place of obscurity where you just go there and you be quiet and you don't even want to be there. But yet, this prince who was crippled found himself living in Lodabar. And so think about it. It's a perpetual state of, shh, be quiet. Don't say nothing. And I don't know, like, like for you, like what, what is that low to bar place? What is that low place that you may have, have found yourself in? Maybe it's almost like, it's, it's like you've, you've lowered the bar. As a matter of fact, the title of today's message is Don't Lower the Bar. And so what you got to understand is like you don't want to be in low to bar. Like that state to where you're, you're using drugs that you shouldn't use. You're in relationships you shouldn't be in. You, you've settled for this state of you know it's not God's best. You're, you're settling for a situation that you know you need to get out of. You're settling for making decisions that you don't want your parents to know about. You're settling for that dude that you know is not God's best. You're settling from sliding into some DMs that you know you need to get out of. You're you're settling for a low situation because you've lowered the bar. And so what we're going to look at today is 
three keys to not lower the bar. And so if you're taking notes, you can write this first one down. The first one is this, is you have to be willing to ask tough questions. Everybody say tough questions. Everybody say tough questions. So I love about David. He asks some tough questions. The Bible says, verse one, David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? They're like, wait, what? Why you want to show kindness? Like, what, what is that? Like, we're supposed to take them out. Like, that, that's the old administration. They vote, they are from a different party than us. Like, they, we voted in some new folks. We got to take them out. They're not for us, right? And now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and David said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, master, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul whom I can show God's kindness to? And David answered, I mean, Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He's lame in his feet. And so I love that, that David is a man that's after God's own heart. And so he's asking the tough question. That was a clear illustration. He wanted to be able to, to demonstrate God's goodness and, and kindness in this situation of asking these questions. And sometimes we find ourselves in situations that the only way we're going to get to that good situation and that godly situation is that we got to ask some tough questions. The only way you get to good answers, you got to ask tough questions. Some of you got something you're facing right now, and the reason you want to step into it because you don't want to ask the tough questions. You know, during week one, when we talked about David and Goliath, I spoke a little bit about Shaq and how tall Shaq was. And, and I remember years ago, it was back like, it was in 2003, there was a, a young man who was going to be the next Shaquille O'Neal. Matter of fact, they called him Baby Shaq. His name was Ari Allen. And, and like he was dubbed to be the, the next Shaquille O'Neal. And like he was on Ripley's Believe It or Not. Like literally, basically this kid just go to high school, then go to the NBA. You're a lottery pick. You're the dude, the next Shaquille O'Neal. Life is set in front of him. As I got to know him, I, I also got to understand his story a little bit more in that he had to ask himself some really, really tough questions as he was on this journey. And, and all of us are faced with that, whether it's a setup for this next amazing thing or we're in a situation in order for us to step into what God has for us, we got to ask some tough questions about where we're at now to see what God would have for us next. I mean, think about the Tampa Bay Lightning. You don't think after they... They had that, that rough loss in, in game four that, that they had to go in the locker room and look at one another and ask some tough questions. You don't think those coaches had to ask some tough questions? My question for you today is, what tough questions do you need to ask? And better yet, the next thing if you're taking notes is this, is that as you ask the tough question, you got to be willing to give honest answers. Everybody say honest answers. Verse four. Where is he, the king asked. Ziba answered, he, he's at the house of Makir, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. He's in Lodabar. He's in a very, very low place. That's where he's at. He's crippled. He's there. So the king had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Makir and the son of Amiel. And when Phib, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David said, Mephibosheth. At your service, he replied. Again, he knows he's the son of Jonathan. Think the king is calling there so he can take him out. David looked at him and gave a real honest answer. He said, don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat 
at my table. You see, I, I love this part of the story is that this is about, you know, we, we like to use the, the term right now, like in this, this generation, we call keeping it 100, right? Like we call keeping it 100, like translation, being honest and keeping it real. Keeping it a buck. In other words, like being honest and keeping it real. And if I'm just going to be honest and keep it real, like God is the standard for keeping it a buck, for keeping it 100, because he's the standard of perfection. Jesus is the standard of perfection. So we're talking about keeping it a buck, keeping it 100, give an honest answer talking about doing things like Jesus. That's what David is saying. Like, I'm trying to be a man after God's heart. In other words, like, I know I shouldn't be doing this, but I know the word that I gave Jonathan and what I would do, so I'm going to be a man of my word. Unfortunately, we live in a, in a generation where that's the biggest thing that's missing right now. Is we live in a generation where people don't want to be honest. They don't want to keep their word. I mean, I'm telling you right now, like, it's just, it's just something that's missing. Matter of fact, we're always looking and expecting someone to fail or to not be honest. I know some of my young folks here at our campuses at Lando Lakes, you're sitting there right now, and you're like, Man, I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, there was a time, in case these young people don't know, is where a handshake actually meant something. You could actually do a deal on a handshake. You could do a business deal on a handshake. As a matter of fact, in Oklahoma, there's a convenience store called Quick Trip. Do y'all have Quick Trips out here? Y'all don't have Quick Trips out here. Do y'all have 7-Elevens? Okay, so y'all have 7-Elevens. Okay, so in Oklahoma, Quick Trip is out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Imagine like Orlando. And then there's a local, the 7-Elevens were owned by another CEO group in the Oklahoma City area. Think of Tampa. Years ago, those two CEOs had a handshake agreement that they wouldn't put stores in one another's market. So there's no, there's no quick trips in the Oklahoma City market. There's no 7-Elevens in the Tulsa market. And just recently last year, the, the family members of the 7-Eleven owner decided that they were going to change that so that handshake agreement went away because somebody didn't keep their word. I mean, that'd be like Wawa and 7-Eleven saying, hey, I'm not going to put stores in Orlando or Tampa or vice versa. But there's something about being able to keep your word. And David understood that, that he realized that, that the best legacy he could have is a legacy that's built on honesty and integrity. And that's what he wanted his legacy to be. And, and that's what you should want your legacy to be. Are you willing to, to give honest answers? Are you willing to, to be honest about situations? Because unfortunately, we have so many businesses, so many politicians, so many leaders, so many people that... They don't keep it a buck. They don't keep it 100. They're not giving honest answers. So many of you, you're not willing to look in the mirror and give some honest answers. Because one thing about a lie is it always continues to multiply. Because it's always times two. It's the lie that you tell somebody else, and it's the lie that you tell yourself to try to justify that lie. I'm going to tell you this. like The ugly truth is always better than the best-dressed lie. That's why the devil wears Prada. And you got to understand, like, you got to understand, like, that's important. Like, you got to make sure that you're willing to be honest and you're willing to tell the truth about your situation. Because when you do, that's when God can start to move. And here's what we, last thing, if you're taking notes, is this. You have to do what God says. Everybody say, do what God says. Most important thing right here, you got to do what God says. Uh, verse 8, Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dog like me. Like, look, like, man, I'm, I'm crippled. I'm in a rough situation. Like, like, somebody dropped me. Like, I'm in a situation. I didn't even cause this situation. It's one thing when you're in a situation that you're the one that caused the problem, young lady, right? It's another thing when, like, somebody else dropped you. Somebody else abused you. Somebody else stepped out on you in your marriage. 
Somebody else introduced you to some things that you shouldn't have been introduced to. Somebody else like, like violated your, your, the relationship that you had, the, the friendship that you had, the situation that you had. And as a result, like, you're like, like what do I do? Like, you're just, you got to sit in this place where you're playing the, the shame game and, and poor me and, and I'm going to do this. And so that, that's the game that Meshibbeth was playing. We're going to call him Fib because I've said his name way too many times. So then Ziba, let's jump down to verse 11. Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So in other words, I'm going to do whatever it is that you say. Do what God says. You know, I mentioned earlier about the story of the, the guy, they call him Baby Shaq. I mean, he had the situation. Everything was in front of him, right? You're the next Shaquille O'Neal. Just go to high school. Maybe do a year in college or go straight to the NBA. First round draft pick, probably the lottery pick overall. The one thing about this, oftentimes we'll have this plan and this elaborate plan of what we expect you know, God to do in our situation. But then sometimes like the plan that we have, it doesn't work out like that. I promise you, that wasn't the plan that the young prince, Mephibosheth, had for his life. But that was his plan that he had to deal with. But at the end, we look at what David was able to do. Let's take a look at Ari's story. Hey, what's up, everyone? Uh, Scott Williams, and I'm looking forward to the conversation we're going to have today. I'm sitting here with my man, Ari Allen, and he has a great story, phenomenal story. But I, I want to, before we get into the story, I mean, obviously you see, I don't know if you can tell, he's a, he's a really, really big man. But before he was a big man, he was a big baby. Matter of fact, Ari, you were born what year? I was born in 1990. Eight pounds, 13 ounces. 28 inches when I was born, but if I went full term, we'd probably have been looking at probably maybe 36. I think I remember the story. I think it was was. Two 2003, like you were like, like every kind of feature you was like Baby Shaq, right? Like that that was the name that your the local Tennessee newspaper gave you, front page story. Uh, at 12, I was 6'6", six, six, and I met Shaq and everything like that, and Shaq actually dubbed me Baby Shaq. Hey, hey what's up, Ari? Uh, uh, good to meet you, big fella. We're gonna go ahead and dub you uh, Baby Shaq. I, I just want to throw my, my Shaq impersonation yeah. out there. I feel like it's it's pretty good, but... Uh, no, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's on, it's on par. Okay, okay, so you were on Ripley's Believe It or Not. They wanted to hear about my my story and know about me and everything. And around 13, I was, uh, I started to become, I started to get a lot of media and a lot of attention and everything like that. AAU games were being packed from people that have seen me on Ripley's and things of that such, and the skills were translating as well. You're, you're having success there, having success in high school ball. The next journey there is for you is to go from there to either college or there to the NBA. That's what we were hoping for. We were hoping that everything lined it up and everything of that nature where I would just be able to go to college for a year and really it's just a semester or two and then you, you get ready for the draft and everything like that and and uh, uh, our plan wasn't God's plan. My junior year of high school, I was involved in a car accident. January 21st, 2007, the lady had ran a red light. She tried to beat us through the intersection and ended up, of course, not beating, not beating us, but that, that car accident derailed everything. Uh, ended up, I ended up having to have back surgery six months later. As much as we tried to get back into basketball and get back to get back healthy and everything like that, nothing was, it just wasn't working for some odd reason. Uh, no matter how much time I spent in therapy, no matter what drill I did, for some reason I just was not getting better. By the time I graduated, I was barely able to walk across the stage. Um, for, for, for a good portion of my family and friends, a lot of people didn't think I was really hurt. They thought I was just sort of going through the motions that I didn't want to play and everything. 
So for me in that time, it was just trying to like, just who am I in this right. situation? You right. go your whole life and basketball is such a prevalent entity in your life and everything like that. The people that I've met, people that I've played with from Brandon Jennings to DeMar DeRozan, uh, to shaking hands with, you know, Kobe and Shaq and LeBron and Carmelo and everything of that nature to now I'm in a, you know, I can't walk. I'm almost in a wheelchair and everything like that. I'm, I was traveling and my assistant called me at the time and your mom had came to the church because you guys came down here, you were living out of your car. Your mom was trying to figure out what's best for her. She comes to the church for some benevolence and you know, about getting some, maybe some bills paid, something taken care of, gas, whatever it was. And my assistant called and she said, like she said, there's something about this family story. I think you need to meet him. That was that was actually during the darkest pits of my of my life and everything. Social anxiety was 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 a real thing for me, right? Uh, I felt embarrassment. I felt uh, I didn't know how to explain this situation to people, and I didn't want to explain the situation to people. Being in that situation, I had to ask myself some tough questions and have to give myself some honest answers as well. But a lot of times, I would go in the bathroom and I would just yell and scream and I would just cry and everything. And during those times, that was my time to like talk to God and also like like talk to myself and get my head together as well. Not necessarily a why am I here or why did this happen, but a what do I do? Like how like how do I go from where I was to this and then how do I have a meaningful, impactful life? How what is my purpose in this situation? And when you came around sort of the, the push to get back out there and just sort of figure it out as you go was was the key and the thing that I needed to actually be able to start that process and start that engine. And then since then, I mean you've had success, you know, coaching high school basketball teams, you got a chance to to move to Dallas, coach some G League for the NBA. After the, after that storm and that season and everything like that, a lot of things opened up, right? I was able to actually get into it and get outside of myself and start coaching kids and start having those pep talks with kids. And that was actually me talking to myself, right? A lot of the times getting people out of their zone, out of their comfort zone, building that self-esteem in them is me talking to myself as well. The comforted thing in this situation that I, that I find comfort in is doing the hard things, doing the difficult things. And the, usually the most difficult thing is something that we should actually try to do. Because the story is, um, I mean, it's obviously it's, it's, a, it's a work in progress. I think you just recently just got, what they're finally able to give a diagnosis. Of, yes, sir. It's uh, Transverse myelitis. Transverse finally myelitis. Finally got that, yes, sir. And so that's, of all these years, I mean, 10 years going through this, you're finally getting a diagnosis. And then, and I think with that, like right now, that we were talking uh, this week about a surgery. So you're, you're, you're like, there's a, a opportunity to go get a, a back surgery, which as you're, you're wrestling with God, like on, like, I know you said you got a meeting coming up, like, should I do this or should I not? Right, that, that gut feeling that we all have, that, that spirit that's talking to us, hey, this is where you need to go. It's what you need to do. As difficult as it may be, as hard as it may, may feel, and as tough as it may be, this is probably the better way for you. You have to at least try. Take a step, and then as soon as it gets tough, do not quit, do not give up. That endurance, being able to endure tough times is, is something I pride myself on. Like not being afraid to step out and take that challenge and take that risk. And as soon as I, if I hear, if I hear God say, hey, like this, this is, I brought this to you. Take the chance and see what happens from it.
You know, one thing Ari's story does, it reminds all of us that sometimes we find ourselves in a situation where we've been faced with a setback. And we face with a setback. And then when you're in that setback situation, you have a couple of choices. You can continue to stay there. You can continue to, to lower the bar. You continue to say, this is, what, this is just me. This is where I'm going to be. I lost my job. I can't get another job like that. My relationship ends. I'm never going to be able to find another person like that. Or you can continue to do what Ari said. You got to take a step. And I don't want to try to you know, paint this pretty picture that it's all roses for this young man. I saw him a young man because I met him when he was a kid. I mean, he's looking at having back surgery. He's wrestling with the fact of like, if I have back surgery, I'm going to be upright. Probably going to be four or five inches taller, like seven, six or something at that time. But what will happen is just the basic things he's learned over the last you know, years in a wheelchair, being able to slump down just to roll, just to grab something off the ground. And so what happens is, is, is comfortability, like we want to stay where it's comfortable. And we don't want to step out. Now, I don't know what that is for you. That place where you're comfortable. You're facing something that's tough and rough, but you're also facing, do I want to be comforted? I mean, I even think about an interview that, that Pat Maroon had after in game four. And they were like, you know, it was a tough loss. It was devastating. And they asked him, what are we going to do? He said, yeah, we have a really rough situation in front of us. It's really tough. But here's what's important. We're still playing hockey. He said, if there's any team that can pull this off, it's this one. And I'm here to tell you that life may be rough. It may not have worked out exactly how you wanted it to. But you're still playing hockey. And what God reminds us in a situation, he said, look, I'm going to make a seat at the table for you. I'm going to prepare a seat at the table for you. In the Bible, it talks about a seat in front of your enemies. It talks about a seat because the reminder is, is that I could be crippled. I could be just like Mephibosheth. But when God pulls the table up for you and he pulls you a seat at the table, you can't even see the situation I have going on in my legs. So I don't know what you came in here with today. But I'm here to tell you that if you're willing to ask some tough questions, if you're willing to give some honest answers. And most importantly, young man, sir, ma'am, if you're willing to do what God says, he's going to pull up a seat at his table for you. But you have to be willing to do the hard things. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for every person that's under the sound of my voice right now, God, and all across this room. This is the time to be honest. We're talking about being honest and, and the importance of honesty uh, at, at, in here right now and at all of our locations. If you could be honest enough to say, you know what? I haven't been asking the tough questions. I haven't been honest with myself and others in every situation. I haven't been always doing what God says, and you want to do better right where you are right now, at all of our locations and in this room. Just raise your hand high right now. Just raise your hand high so I can pray for you. I know a lot of you haven't been being honest with yourself. Some of you are not being honest with yourself right now. You're not fooling God. God, I pray for every single person that has their hand up right now, God, as they're willing to ask the tough questions, willing to give themselves honest answers, God. I pray that you would bless them, God. I pray that you begin to open up the doors of blessing. I pray that you continue to make seats at the tables that they shouldn't even be sitting at, God. I pray that you would do it this week, that they can't get through this week without you showing up and blessing them, God. 
as we're still in the attitude of prayer with hair still bowed and eyes still closed, you can put your hands down now. I want to talk to everybody in this room and everybody in all of our locations. There's, there's some of you here today, and as we're talking about pulling up a seat at the table, we talk about the most important part of this message is about the grace and mercy that can only come from Jesus, and, and that's what this message is about today. And many of you guys, if you're being honest, you've never made the decision to commit your life to Jesus. And here in a few moments, you're going to have the opportunity to do so at all of our locations. Lando Lakes, I see you. Temple Terrace, you're there. Ebor, all of you guys are there. South Tampa, I see you right now. And in a few moments, you're going to make the most important decision ever. So if you're here today and say, you know what, I'm no longer playing the church I want to give my life to Jesus. If you're here to say, you know what, Jesus, I want you to come into my life. I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my Savior. I want you to wash my sins away, and I want you to make me brand new. If that's you, and that's your prayer right now, all of our locations, raise your hand high right now. Just raise it high and keep it up. Just raise it high and keep it up. I just want to acknowledge you. Just look, I'm going to meet you eye to eye. I see you right there at all of our locations. I see you raising hands at all of our campuses right now. Just keep your hands up right here in the middle. I see both of you right here in the front, over here to my left. I, I know hands are going up at all of our campuses. Back there in the back, I see both of you guys right there. Over here to my right, young man, ma'am, welcome to the family of God. Sir, right there with the mask on. Ma'am, right here, welcome to the family of God. Others of you, all of our campuses, continue to raise the hands. All right, Grace family, here's what we're going to get the opportunity to do is we're going to celebrate the life change that's happening in this room and in all of our locations and online. And I want every single person to repeat this prayer loudly after me saying, Heavenly Father, Every, we're doing this as a church family in all of our locations. You can do better than that. Everybody repeat this prayer after me saying, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus who died on the cross for my sins. Today I choose to make Jesus my Lord and my Savior. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Change me and make me brand new. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Come on, guys. Let's give it up for Change Lives. Come on now. Let's give it up for Change Lives. Man, congratulations for those of you who just made that decision. Uh, campus pastor will give you the next steps. We'll let Pastor Ralph come here and do it here. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening to the Grace Family Church Podcast. For more info, check out gfcflorida.com or connect with us by texting the word CONNECT to 81313. We look forward to meeting you at one of our locations soon.